Hello and welcome to the Bible Difficulties and Answers podcast. I'm your host, Lance Smith. Thank you for the emails and messages I've received since starting this podcast. They are of much encouragement. A common thread amongst the messages are, why aren't we starting now on Genesis 1? And that's a fair question, and let me try to explain. My self-imposed beginning for this systematic journey throughout the Bible had us beginning in January. The first four words of Genesis are so powerful, in the beginning, God, that I believed it necessary for us to formulate several arguments for the existence of God. If God does not exist, then what's the point of the first four words of the Bible? In addition, the uh, 15-minute or less format that I have doesn't lend itself to a complete defense of each argument that we proposed, or even a Cliff's Notes version of each argument. It's more of a tip of the iceberg explanation, along with show note resources, allowing you to dig deeper into each subject. I hope this makes sense for the introductory episodes, and I've appreciated the opportunity to help further explain on a one-off basis to several folks any questions our listeners have had. That being said, last week we spent some time giving some groundwork on the fine-tuning of the universe or teleological argument simply that the universe is held together through mathematics at such a mind-boggling, precise basis as to have not come into existence by chance. It had to have been expertly designed by something outside of space, time, and matter, and that something is a theistic God. Today, we're going to discuss the moral argument for the existence of God. Moral argument, you may ask? Sure. For without God, there exists no basis at all for morality. Now, this should be fun. If I came to you and I said, I think torturing babies for fun is a great way to pass the time, or if I said murdering six million people in the Holocaust is perfectly fine, or Joseph Stalin murdering 20 million of his own citizens was really no big deal, you would think of me as, rightly, a monster. But no one believes torturing babies for fun or murdering millions of people is acceptable at all. But the question is begged, why is it not acceptable? Where do we get the standard to say what is acceptable? If there is just one action that can be wrong objectively, as we just described, then that makes the case for the moral argument for God. There has to be an unchanging moral standard, or put another way, a moral law that has existed since the beginning of time. We can't claim it's just the basic nature of humanity to say this is wrong. Hitler and Stalin both believed that what they were doing was right. But we know that's not true. So when did humanity coalesce around this objective standard? Or what was the standard before humanity even appeared? An unchanging moral being, what we call God, gives unchanging moral laws and obligations that bind us together as humanity. To put this another way, if there, was no, if there is no objective moral standard given by God, what we call natural law or God's nature, or what Thomas Jefferson described as being self-evident, then everything is just a matter of opinion. Keep in mind, Jefferson didn't say, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their government with certain unalienable rights. No, Jefferson said we are endowed by our creator, God. Think of the implications if there were no objective moral standard given by God. To take this to its natural conclusion then, What is right is solely determined by what the individual believes is right. Certainly Hitler and Stalin believe that. You may have heard people say there is no truth. I just have my truth. And that statement is self-defeating. As you may rightly ask, is your truth the truth for me? Of course it's not. That person has no other option than to say that. 
They're just giving their opinion, and it's cloaked in a true statement. Therefore, without God's objective moral standard for what is good and right, then people like Hitler or Stalin or child murderers, pedophiles or rapists would not be any different than someone like a Mother Teresa. Had Hitler succeeded in World War II with his blatant anti-Semitism and killed everyone who disagreed with him and or brainwashed everyone into agreeing with his view, it would still be wrong, even if the government said it was good. And that's something we should keep in mind about all governments. Michael Roos, a philosopher of science, argues there is no basis for moral law. And let's hear from the other side as he explains, and I quote, Morality is a biological adaptation no less than our hands and feet and teeth. Considered as a rationally justifiable set of claims about an objective something, ethics is illusory. I appreciate that when someone says, love thy neighbor as thyself, they think they're referring above and beyond themselves. Nevertheless, such a reference is truly without foundation. Morality is just an aid to survival and reproduction. Any deeper meaning is illusory. Now think about the implications of this statement. Unless there are moral laws, there is simply no reason to behave ethically. It truly is Darwinism on steroids, survival of the fittest. Anything and everything is acceptable, even encouraged, to accomplish one's own desires. This view allows for no other, as there is no ultimate justice or mercy for any actions that are taken in this life. Frederick Nietzsche, who I have to give credit to, as he was maybe the only person who truly grasped and lived a completely atheistic life, eventually he did go mad at the end, and who famously proclaimed the death of God, understood that the death of God meant the destruction of all meaning and value in life. And he is 100% right there. You may be thinking, though, can an atheist then live a moral life without believing in God? Absolutely they can. And I'm going to refer to William Lane Craig from his blog post, Does God Exist?, to help clarify. And I quote here, and this is a long quote. If God does not exist, do objective moral values exist? Like Ruse, I don't see any reason to think that in the absence of God, human morality is objective. After all, if there is no God, then what's so special about human beings? They're just accidental byproducts of nature which have evolved relatively recently on an infinitesimal speck of dust lost somewhere in a hostile and mindless universe and which are doomed to perish individually and collectively in a relatively short time. Craig continues, On the atheistic view, some actions, say rape, may not be socially advantageous, and so, in the course of evolution, has become taboo. But that does absolutely nothing to prove that rape is really wrong. On the atheistic view, apart from the social consequences, there's nothing really wrong with you raping someone. Thus, without God, there is no absolute right and wrong which imposes itself on our conscience. But, Craig continues, the problem is that objective values do exist. And deep down, we all know it. There's no more reason to deny, deny the objective reality of moral values than the objective reality of the physical world. As Craig continues, most of us think that we do apprehend objective values. As Roos himself confesses, the man who says that it is morally acceptable to rape little children is just as mistaken as the man who says two plus two equals five. Actions like rape, torture, and child abuse aren't just socially unacceptable behavior. They're moral abominations. Some things are really wrong. Similarly, love, equality, and self-sacrifice are really good. But if, if objective values cannot exist without God, 
and objective values do exist, then it follows logically and inescapably that God exists. Close the quote. Now, when we have laws that we know, when we have laws, we know that laws do come from lawgivers. Moral laws then are no exception. Where do we find these moral laws we know to be true? Things like you shouldn't murder, commit adultery, steal, lie, covet, that are written on our hearts. You don't have to explain why these actions are wrong. We just know that they're wrong. Why are they self-evident and endowed by the one moral lawgiver? That's because of God that we have these. But I can hear some thinking this out loud. Since God is great and nice and gives us wonderful moral laws, why is there evil in this world? For some reason, this is viewed as some sort of trump card. Precisely because there is evil in the world, it demonstrates the existence of a moral and righteous God. Evil is like, say, shadows. It needs light to exist. Light doesn't need shadows to exist. Evil is like, I heard, rust on a car. You remove the rust and you make the car better. You remove the car from the rust and you have nothing. Or disease, another example, makes sense only as a flaw in health. But health does not make sense as a flaw in a disease. J. Bud Zizewski states, evil, or as some would say, simply the lessening, the lessening or absence of God, must have good to even exist. And finally, as C.S. Lewis said, a man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. So as you can see, evil needs good to exist in order for evil to exist. Jimmy Wallace, in his blog post, Why Do We Call It Evil in the First Place, concludes, the presence of these in our world does not rule out the existence of God. In fact, the presence of evil only makes his existence more likely. One may not understand why God chooses to allow evil, pain, and suffering to occur now, but scripture makes it clear that one day all pain will end and God's ultimate justice will be accomplished. J. Warner Wallace, cold case detective and Christian apologist adds, a transcendent God understands love is the perfect balance between mercy and justice. An eternal God provides humans with an existence beyond the grave. Our desire for happiness, love, mercy, and justice need not be satisfied in this life. All these desires can and will be satisfied in eternity. We'll close the quote there. We'll get to some of these points as the podcast unfolds over the upcoming years. Glenn Peoples from rightreason.org in a blog post entitled A Simple Explanation of the Moral Argument says, the moral argument leaves us with two options. Either we should accept that God exists and begin the all-important task of searching for him earnestly in light of the importance that God's existence has, or we should give up belief in moral facts and say that we live in a world where there is no moral difference at all between the things the world calls acts of virtue and the things that we call atrocities. In short, whatever else might exist in a godless world, and that's a subject for a whole other discussion, moral facts certainly cannot exist, close quote. Again, let me refer back to William Lane Craig, who does a nice job of summarizing the moral argument. He does it similarly to the Kalam cosmological argument we discussed a couple of weeks ago. Number one, if God does not exist, objective moral values do not exist. Number two, objective moral values do exist. Number three, therefore God exists. Next week, we'll conclude the last of our five introductory episodes on Is the New Testament Reliable? You may reach us at our website, bibledifficultiesandanswers.podbean.com, or you may reach out to me directly at our email address, bibledifficultiesandanswers at gmail.com. 
with any questions, comments, concerns, fits of righteous indignation, or just to say hi. Also, please like and subscribe to this podcast and also write a review and give it a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeart, or your podcast venue of choice. It really does help get the word out about the most amazing book ever written. Again, I'm Lance Smith. Until next time, I wish you good luck, good health, and God bless. So long, everybody. Mm -hmm.